verses 1 to 5 of Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4 now. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bre- on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up, lift you in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were cast in a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large, Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we look at the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, 
we would be celebrating who he is, that we would be amazed, marveling at what he did for us. Father, thank you that he came to save his people from their sins, to be God with us. Father, we pray we'd understand more of that this morning through your word. Amen. Have you ever been walking alone at night and suddenly got a, a chill down the back of your spine? I wonder, have you ever heard a noise in the darkness and you just felt your heart start to race? I wonder, have you ever been lost in the dark, unable to see your way forward? If so, you know firsthand just how scary the darkness can be. But the fear of darkness, it goes beyond just personal experience, doesn't it? Uh, From ancient fairy tales to modern horror stories, uh, the darkness has always been depicted as a place of danger, as a place of mystery, as a place of death. Uh, The adventurer in the dark cave, unable to see what's ahead of them. The horror film with a man buried alive, lighting match after match in order to see. Darkness is a scary thing, isn't it? In the stories, in the movies, in the Bible as well. If you were with us last week, we saw Jesus being presented as the one to come after John. And it was a big surprise, wasn't there? Instead of judgment, Jesus came to be one of us. He numbered himself with the transgressors. He was with the people. He was God with us. And we saw that God the Father was pleased with that. Flick back with me, uh, just up a little bit in the column there, to verse 17. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Do you remember this? A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus accepted the job. He took on the challenge to save his people from their sins, to be God with us. But what does that look like? What does that mean? How does that give us here in this room this morning hope in the darkness? Well, Matthew chapter 4 is here to help us think about that mission, to help us think about what it means for who Jesus is, to help us think about what Jesus came to do. And this morning, we're going to see that Jesus succeeds where everyone else fails. Jesus succeeds where everyone else fails. And that should lead you, each one of us this morning, to change your mind and follow him. You see, Matthew chapter 4 is good news for everybody here this morning. And it centers, the whole thing centers around those words in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 4. Flick over the page. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. As we work through this chapter this morning, it's going to unpack that verse for us. It's going to explain what is going on there. As I said, we all know darkness. But the good news this morning is that light has broken in, into the hopelessness, into the fears, into death itself. The blindfold is coming off, the box is being opened, the light is flooding in. 
That is the claim this morning. That is the good news we're going to see this morning. Let's take a look, shall we? Firstly, Jesus succeeds where everyone else fails. That is verses 1 to 11 of our passage. See, the story, it picks up immediately from where we left off last Sunday. Jesus has just come up out of the water. The father has just said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the spirit, do you remember that? The spirit descended on him like a dove. And now that same spirit, Matthew 4 verse 1, drives Jesus into the wilderness. Just notice that for a moment. It's really important. The spirit, God the spirit, he leads Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. You see, this is deliberate. There is something that is about to happen that is going to be really important. Something Matthew wants us to get. And with this description here in verse 1, we're meant to be thinking darkness. We're meant to be thinking hopelessness. We're meant to be thinking death. Why do I say that? Well, because the wilderness in the Bible is a place of disorder, a place of emptiness, a place that you do not go for your holidays. I mean, I don't think anyone here or has even heard of someone going on holiday to the Sahara Desert before. Nope. Good. See, this is a place of death. You don't want to be here in the wilderness for long, if at all. And who do we find there? We find the devil, the ruler of death, the one who hates life, the one who hates flourishing, the one who hates what God's plan is for human goodness. Do you see here, Jesus is going right to the place where death and darkness are at their most thickest. And he goes there to be tempted, to be tested by the devil. I mean, perhaps as you hear the word test, uh, you're shuddering again. Maybe that uh, spine is going again. You see, when the teacher at school said the test is coming, gave me the shivers. I don't know about you. But just think about a test for a moment. What is the point of a test? Well, a test in every situation shows what really is. A test reveals the truth about something, doesn't it? Uh, in the case of a school test, I know we have many teachers here, a school test reveals whether the student has really listened, whether they have really learnt what they've been told again and again and again to revise. It shows whether the student really did do their homework or not. Well, here in Matthew chapter 4, the test or the temptation is going to show us, show us something about Jesus. It's going to show us something about his mission. It's going to show us something about what he came to do. And in this case, what are we waiting to see? Well, we're waiting to see what this test is going to show is if Jesus really is what the Father said about him. Whether he really is the beloved son with whom he is well pleased. Well, there we go. First test, verses two to four. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And Matthew states the obvious. End of verse 2. He was hungry. That's got to be an understatement, doesn't it? 40 days and 40 nights of not eating. Just imagine the state he was in. He's got to be close to death. I mean, it's hard enough uh, waiting for my lunch on a Sunday morning, even though we have great biscuits at the end. Please hang around for those. But this is the situation 
that the devil, the tempter here, comes into. If you really are the son of God, he says, tell these stones to become bread. Do you see what the devil is doing here? He is saying, if you really are the son that the father loves, he wouldn't be doing this to you, would he? Look, you're starving. You haven't got much left. Are you sure? Are you sure that God loves you? Just notice the detail here of how Matthew records this for us. We know the answer already, don't we? The answer to the question, if you really are the son of God. Matthew's already given us his answer, hasn't he? Does Matthew think that Jesus is the son of God? Yes, exactly. So what's going on here? Well, it's showing us, showing us something about what Jesus has come to do. Could Jesus turn these stones into bread? Yes, he has the power. He could do it if he wanted to. But this is here to teach us something. This is here to show us what being the son of God looks like here. And the good news this morning, if you only hear one thing this morning, is that Jesus succeeds. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 here. We had it read earlier. Here it is exactly, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is saying that humanity is made for more than food. I mean, animals live off food, don't they? Animals scrape by. Animals survive. Humanity, though, is made for much more. Humanity, to be most human, to be your most human is to listen to God's words as well. To be human is to trust God. To be truly human, to be on the best path of life, means listening to God. And you see, that is what Jesus does here. But there's some more to this. Uh, If you've ever seen the movie Shrek, have people seen the movie Shrek before? You'll probably know the famous line about onions. Ogres are like onions, yeah? Not because they stink, not because they make you cry, but because onions have layers, exactly. There are layers going on here. See, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy because another son of God was given this task. Another son of God who was taken down into Egypt, who was brought up out through water, taken through the wilderness. Another son who heard these words. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. That is who Deuteronomy is talking about. But those words in Deuteronomy, they are said with a stink, perhaps like an onion. You see, Israel, they were given the charge to trust God, to demonstrate God's wisdom, God's pattern for life to the world around, to be the truly human people in a world of darkness. But they grumbled. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe that God loved them. Israel failed the test. But here's where the good news comes in. Light has dawned. Jesus succeeds where Israel failed. Jesus takes the son of God mantle and he does with it what it was meant to do. 
Yeah, there's another layer to the onion. If you've joined us this year for our daily Bible reading, you will have seen a human tempted by the devil before. You will have seen a story that Israel is replaying here. The story of Adam and Eve. Or you could say the story of humanity. You see, in short form here, Jesus is replaying humanity's story, which is a story of failure again and again. A story that if you track it through, is a story that led to darkness, a story that has led to death, a story that has led to exile. In fact, a story that, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we know all too well. I mean, the idea of providing for yourself rather than trusting God. Or the desire of our uh, community around us to be self-sufficient. In fact, uh, it's shown in the fact there are even people out there who try and turn this experience of Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, no food, into a challenge. Go on, you can Google that when you get home, it's true. But that's not the point. In fact, to do that is the opposite of the point. Here, it's not meant to be showing self-sufficiency. Jesus is showing us here his trust in the Father. Jesus trusts his Father all the time. And this morning, I think we all know we don't. You see, humanity, we've failed again and again at this. But there's one. There is one who has succeeded. Light has dawned. There is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Verses 5 to 7 follow on with this. There are two more tests, aren't there? Verses 5 to 7, you have the devil questioning, does the father really love the son? So he asks the same question. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down from the top of the temple. See if your God will catch you. I mean, that's a height that would have killed anybody. That'd be a test of love, wouldn't it? Are you sure you can trust your father with your life, Jesus? Are you sure? He's asking. And then just to sweeten it, like many false teachers do, they throw a scripture reference in. Out of context, here we go, to a psalm. Psalm 91. That is a psalm that speaks of the person who trusts God. It says that person will see that God does care for him. I mean those words, verse 6. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Again, we're replaying what has happened before. Israel failed this test as well. In fact, Israel is described as testing God in the wilderness, of doubting God's care, doubting God's competence, failing to believe, failing to trust God's promises. And it's not the first time the devil has taken God's word and twisted them to destruction, is it? Did God really say... You may have read in Genesis chapter 3. It's what the serpent says, isn't it? Ironically, the very next verse of that psalm, the one after the devil's quote, is this. The one who trusts God will tread on the lion and tread on the cobra. They will trample the great lion. They will trample the serpent. You only have to go one verse further. You see, each time that we think to ourselves, does God really care? Each time we think to ourselves, what's just happened isn't right. It's not fair. If I was God, I would do this instead. Each time that we do that, we fall into the trap of questioning God's love. 
And let's be honest with ourselves once more. It doesn't take very much, does it? But here in Matthew chapter 4, we have the one who will trample the serpent. Here in Matthew chapter 4, we have the victor. We have the champion. We have the hero that we can get behind. Light has dawned. Jesus is the son of God. He is the one who has been doing, who is doing what he's been called to do. He's the one who's come to save others. He's the one who's come to save his people from their sin. He's come to be God with us. Third test, devil changes his tack. He goes for the jugular. He goes for the very mission itself. We've talked about, are you, are you the beloved son? Well, now he goes for the one that I'm well pleased with. Part of the sentence, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and, they show, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if, if you will bow down and worship me. Just think about it again. Is the son of God going to rule the world? Well, John in Matthew chapter 3 certainly thought so. And Jesus agreed with him. But what was important to see in Matthew chapter 3? It was important to see that it's not yet. You see, the devil here is testing Jesus. Testing Jesus to see whether he will commit to this plan. Is Jesus going to bypass the mission? Is he going to bypass the cross? Is he going to save his people from their sins? Or is he just going to take the prize another way? Put it bluntly. Is Jesus going to abandon his father? Abandon God completely? It won't surprise you at this point. Israel fell hook, line and sinker for this one. At their very greatest, under King Solomon, they abandoned the Lord and they worshipped other gods. And from there, steady decline into exile. Steady decline into being driven out of the land. Steady decline into death. Adam and Eve, same fate as well. Driven out of the garden, exiled as well. You see, there is no way to save people from their sin without following the Father's plan. Without making the Father well pleased. You see, the tension here is high. In fact, if you're tracking our only hope, our only hope this morning is resting on Jesus' response to this temptation. And the good news for us is that Jesus passes it with flying colours. Light has dawned. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God is right. God is right to be well pleased with his son right here. And Jesus is right to trust his father. Now you get a small proof of that. Have a look at verse 11. Angels are sent to attend Jesus. There we go. The father does love the son. So with that, the devil leaves. But he will return. In Matthew's gospel, two more times, these words are going to be found on people's lips. These words that tempt Jesus to leave that cross behind. When people say... Tell Jesus to give up on that cross. As Peter says, to avoid Jesus being killed, you're not going to go through with that. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. As Jesus hangs there on the cross, with the crowds mocking him, saying, save yourself, come down from the cross, if you are the son of God. They sound just like the devil here, don't they? 
But our saviour, he went through with it for us and for our salvation. Jesus won. Light has dawned. Those words of the father are true. This is his son whom he loves, with whom he is right to be well pleased. Jesus shows, he proves that he's going to complete this mission. He is going to save his people from their sin. Jesus has shown that he trusts his father with his life. He has passed the test. It's striking, isn't it? To just think about what Jesus was offered to abandon God. I mean, all sorts of things tempt us to do that, don't they? And when we think about it, it doesn't really take very much for us to cave in. Jesus was offered the world. We give in for the briefest buzz. The briefest thing that we end up regretting or feeling let down by almost immediately after. If we were to trust our own ability, if we were to look deep inside ourselves, if we're honest, or we'd be hopeless. It's only, only as we throw our lot behind Jesus, it's only as we follow Jesus as our champion, it's only as we have Jesus as our hero representing us that there is any hope of victory. Only because Jesus became one of us. Only because he took on flesh and went to the cross in our place. Only because he took on this mission to save his people, to save us from our sin. Only, only in Jesus is there light at the end of the tunnel. Only in Jesus, light has dawned. And that leads us right to the centre of our chapter. And an echo from last week, second point this morning. So change your mind. Verses 12 to 17. So change your mind. You see, there is darkness all around. You can see it in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. The darkness there, right in the centre of Jerusalem, has led to the arrest of John. That is the same John of Matthew chapter 3. So Jesus withdraws. He doesn't go there. Instead, he goes to a place called Galilee. We're going to see there's plenty of darkness and death in Galilee as well. But Galilee is hardly a key destination. In fact, it's a destination that puts Jesus right at the edge, right at the edge of Jewish territory, almost into the Gentile world. That is with the non-Jews. I mean, that would be a total surprise. The king of the Jews has gone up there. It'd be a total surprise if it wasn't exactly what Isaiah said would happen. We met Isaiah back in chapter 1 of Matthew, and he's popped up every chapter since. He was an Old Testament prophet. And Matthew wants us to see here that Jesus is doing exactly what Isaiah foretold. If you were here on Christmas Day, this is the same section of Isaiah that we get the story of Emmanuel from. And Matthew is saying these words here in 15 to 16, those words penned by Isaiah 700 years before, explain what is going on here. That light that Isaiah was talking about 700 years before this has now come with Jesus. Light has dawned. And now, now is the time to do something about it. Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven 
has come near. Those are the very words that John had been preaching, aren't they? Back in Matthew chapter 3. We spent some time there last week if you want to go back and listen again. But Jesus is picking up the reins and continuing the same message. Change your mind, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Light has dawned. That very call there, that call to change your mind, to repent, goes to every single one of us here this morning. Just think about it. When light comes into a room, we have a choice, don't we? What are we going to do with it? Uh, When someone opens the curtains, normally my wife in my house, uh, particularly when you have blackout curtains, when someone opens the curtains, we're faced with an instant choice, aren't we? Embrace the light streaming through the window or hide back under the duvet and hope it goes away again. Jesus' light here calls us to change our minds, to do something about it. Are we going to listen and trust Jesus? Are we going to throw our lot behind Jesus? Are we going to believe that Jesus and Jesus alone, as we've just seen, is the hope of victory? Let me be blunt this morning, as I can be. What do you, what do you think about Jesus this morning? As I say, that's a decision we all need to make now. Because there is no sitting on the fence. Either listen and trust, or don't. The kingdom is near. But what does that look like? Well, fortunately, we're given an example at the end of this passage this morning, what that looks like. Third, final point, short point this morning. And follow him. Verses 18 to 25. And follow him. We have two little short stories here. Do you see them? Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, at once they left their nets and followed him. It's a brief story, but that is the point. Jesus calls, people respond, done. In fact, it happens again, verse 21, 22. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You see, again, Jesus calls, follow me, and the two brothers respond immediately. I always feel a bit sorry for Zebedee. Not only is he named after the character from the Magic Roundabout, but just imagine his face. Uh, He's left there in the boat as his sons, they up and they follow Jesus. So that might be, that was my childhood growing up. I know there's some younger people here. But you see, that is the point, the immediacy there. There is an instant, an instant reaction to the light. This here is showing us what it is to embrace that light. In fact, this is what is expected of disciples. This is what is expected of those who follow Jesus. Just notice a couple of small details with me here. Notice how personal it is. Uh, we're given these people's names. Peter, Andrew, James, John. The call to follow is an individual decision. Your parents can't do it for you. Your church can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. We saw that last week. It is your response to Jesus that matters. What do you think about him this morning? Secondly, notice how urgent this response is. There is no dilly-dallying, is there? Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they drop everything 
and they throw their lot in with Jesus. And that isn't a small thing, is it? Everything they depended on for their lives, their livelihood, they leave it behind. And now they place all of that into Jesus' hands. Do you see there their job, their possessions, even their family? If you're thinking that's drastic this morning, you're right. It is. But just like a fire drill, you react urgently in the moment, don't you? I used to be a fire uh, drill person uh, in my old job. Uh, As the siren goes, you are meant to leave everything. Do not take a cup of coffee with you. Stop it. Don't take your coat with you. No, that's not allowed. You move. The fire alarm's going off. You move. The kingdom is near. Act now. Save your life. Life is walking past And these men here, they want it. Light has dawned and these men, they see him and they go after him. And that news spreads, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. The next few chapters are going to give us some of that teaching. We're going to go through that so don't miss out. But here, just in this little section, Jesus is showing us that light really has dawns. Do you remember that quote from Isaiah? It's up there on the screen. Right at the centre of this passage, verse 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You see, the teaching and the healing, they all go together to proclaim that Jesus is the light. In fact, light and life, do you see there, go together. And death and darkness go together here. As Jesus heals those in darkness, as he heals those who are under the shadow of death, what's he doing? He's showing that light has dawned. He is showing that life, life has come. That he is the one to trust for the solutions to this dark, dark world. As Jesus drives out demons, he's showing the kingdom of God has come near. As he proclaims these words, he is sharing good news. And just as moths are attracted to a lamp, people are drawn to that light. They are drawn to Jesus. They come from every direction. In fact, if you're really tuned in, they come from the same places that they came to John in chapter 3. Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan. But more, from Galilee and the Decapolis as well. People are coming from all around to see that light. Or you could say the people living in darkness have seen a great light. That is what's going on here. All these people, they've come to hear what Jesus has to say, to hear more about the kingdom of heaven. But that shows us what embracing the light looks like. To embrace the light looks like following Jesus, not scuttling away and hiding from that light. Not like me when Izzy opens our curtains at home, hiding under the duvet, hoping she can close them again. No, this morning, The big call is this. Let me encourage you in this. Follow Jesus. Does that mean giving up everything? Well, not necessarily. Uh, If you read through Matthew's gospel, this isn't the last time we're going to see Peter fish. He hasn't given up fishing completely, don't worry. But, But at the same time, following Jesus must. Following Jesus must be a radical departure from what was going on before. See, in our world, it's really easy to become acclimatised, to become desensitised to the darkness around us. Our senses get dulled to it. I know many people do swimming lessons here. It's a bit like this. 
Imagine getting in a swimming pool that is totally freezing. There's another shudder for you this morning. After a few minutes, though, you stop noticing, don't you? It's not that the water has gotten warmer. I can tell you that. It's because you've grown used to it. Like that, so the darkness of this world. See, the darkness of this world is blinding. And so the call to follow Jesus is significant. It is noticeable. It makes a difference to your life. It's an urgent response to the light that has dawned. So this morning, let me appeal to you. Please listen to me now. Follow Jesus. Throw your lot in behind him. Please. I would love to speak to you more about that if you would like to. But as we close, that verse, verse 16, chapter 4 of Matthew. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let me pray for God's help to change our minds and follow Jesus now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he succeeds where everyone else fails. Father, thank you that we can know that uh, personally. We know that we just wouldn't be good enough for you. We know that no one ever has apart from the Lord Jesus. Father, help us, we pray, to change our minds about that truth this morning, to know that Jesus is the one who has done everything we need to be saved. And Father, we pray that you would enable us to follow him this morning. Father, help us to listen to these words that Matthew has penned for us, that you speak through to us today. Help us to listen to what you're saying and trust the Lord Jesus. Follow him, give him our lives. Father, we pray for those who haven't done that yet here this morning. Father, we pray today, right now, would be the time they do that. And for those of us who do trust him, Father, we pray we would trust him all the more, seeing just who he is and what he's come to do. Help us to celebrate him, we pray. Amen.